from Genesis chapter 17. God says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty, that's El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, when we read this of this divine visitation to, from God to Abram. This is not the first one, and it strikes us as very familiar because we think, hasn't God said all of that before? And, and the answer is yes. We have heard that same basic message from God to Abraham, and, and I'm sure that Abram's wondering, like, when are we going to get started? We've been hearing this. God's promises throughout the story of Abram have become progressively more specific. But the reality is, this is just another iteration of the promise that God made to Abram the first time he appeared to him, revealing himself to the patriarch. Do you remember when Abram was in Ur of the Chaldeans and God issued the call to him? He made essentially the same promise. Look at Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, what, what was the call? Abram was to leave for the land God would show him, and the plan was that God would make his name great by blessing him and equipping him to be a blessing to all the peoples on the earth. There was always, always an understanding from the very beginning that God's vision required some level of response on Abram's part. In the beginning, God called him to go to the land he would show him. In Genesis 17, the instruction is for Abram to walk before God and be blameless. But the keeping of the covenant, no matter the response called for by Abram or whether or not he actually got it right, 
the keeping of the covenant was always a God's thing. It was always God's thing. God's vision was always and is always impossible without God's involvement. Okay, I'm going to say that again. God's vision is always impossible without God's involvement. This, this wasn't just a good idea that God had and pitched it to Abraham to run along with it. He couldn't. He couldn't make this happen without God's involvement. Think about it. Abram and Sarai were physically incapable of becoming a great nation because she was barren. Abram couldn't seize the land and take control of it that God was giving him because it was already inhabited. And if you remember, God told him to leave all his people behind. He couldn't take the land. The future, his future, our future, always hinged upon God keeping the promises that he had made, which those promises amounted to only things that God could do. For Abram, his part was just to keep moving. Just keep moving. Walk before me. He was to move in the direction that God called him to go. And then, as he moved, he would be walking in the fulfillment of the promises that God made to him. The bottom line is this. Every element of God's vision for Abram and Sarah was completely dependent upon God. It was God's idea, it was God's covenant, God's promises that were graciously given to Abram. And those promises were faithfully kept by God. It was God's word and God's work. It had to be. Why? Because otherwise, Abram would be able to steal God's glory by saying, look what I did. Now, let, we're going to look at one specific aspect of the call to Abram and the promise that God made to him, and, and that is the promise of making his name great. God said, I will make your name great. The patriarch couldn't do that any more than he could produce a child or take the land. That was God's work. That, by the way, is why God changed his name from Abram, which meant exalted father, which is ironic because he had no children. His name was Abram, it meant exalted father, and God changed it to Abraham, meaning father of many. Abraham means father of many. Now, in order to fully appreciate this, we have to go back to something that happened prior to God calling Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans, in the biblical record, it actually happened one chapter before the call. If you, if you want to turn along, follow along in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 11, I want you to see what happened one chapter earlier. Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, hey, come on, let, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. 
Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people we're building. Now, generally, when we read that passage of Scripture, we focus exclusively on what they did, the construction of the tower, the, the building of a city. And, and that is apropos because the construction of that tower was a really big deal, at least to the people. It was a big deal. They figured out how to make bricks they used tar to bind them together for construction. So this tower, by which they hoped to either get to the gods or more probably prove themselves equal to God. Okay, that was the objective. We're going to get to God, to the heavens they were building the tower, or they wanted to show themselves equal to gods. It was not only remarkable, that tower, but it was also a technological wonder in the eyes of men. They had never built with bricks. No one had ever used tar. These things they were doing had never been done. Now, of course, if they thought the project was elevating them, God res God's response was to cut them down to size. In other words, or in the words of Christopher Watkin, God stooped down to get a better look at the tower and its thimble-like grandeur. That's exactly what it was. The people and their tower were just chicken feed. But from God's perspective, this was a big deal. Not the tower, not the city the people were building, but the reason for the tower was a big deal. What they hoped to accomplish by building the tower. Do you remember what the scripture says? Look at verse 4 of Genesis 11. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, have you ever stopped to think about the motivation for building that tower? It's a big deal. What was it? Well, vaguely put, they wanted to do something that would keep them from having to do something else. Okay, they wanted to do something to keep them from having to do something else. They wanted to make a name for themselves so they wouldn't have to scatter over all the earth. They wanted to make a name for themselves so they wouldn't have to scatter over all the earth. Now, you, you might be asking, how in the world are those two things connected? Good question. I hope to answer it. What does scattering over the face of the earth have to do with making a great name? Well, let's consider the idea of scattering over the face of the earth first. That, that, that is a negative take, scattering, on God's one of his initial commands to mankind. In the beginning, God's vision for Adam and Eve was that they would take care of creation. But, but there were only two of them. 
okay? And so God said, with that in mind, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, the vision, that vision, didn't change even though things changed when they fell. When they sinned, they no longer were to fill the garden. They had been cast out of the garden, and now they were to fill the earth. But that vision never changed. God's command was not withdrawn. Do you remember when Noah and his sons disembarked from the zoo's cruise? God reaffirmed for them this original vision for mankind. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 says this, Then God blessed Noah and his sons. Now, let, let's just slow down over what's happening here. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. Note, this command to fill the earth was a blessing to them. God blessed them and told them what to do. It gave them purpose, and it, it carved out a path through which they would honor God and his plan for creation. Two chapters later, just two chapters later, when we get to Babel, Mankind has decided that God's vision for filling the earth wasn't such a blessing after all because it wasn't something they wanted to do. They weren't interested in scattering, in, in filling the earth. They wanted to build a city, stay put, in effect, completely ignore God's purpose and vision. Now, it is clear that was a problem. Okay, they were defying the command of God. By the way, when we defy the commands of God, which are graciously given to us to equip us with wisdom to navigate life, it is a problem. They chose to do everything in their power to disobey God's call to fill the earth. Now, what does that have to do with making a name for themselves? Which, by the way, is the stated reason they didn't want to fill the earth. I, I, you probably know this if you've been in church very long. You know that names are a really big deal in Scripture. And naming rights, which is the phrase that we use, th those, those are are fundamentally, they reveal authority. Okay, when you name something, you actually have dominion over what you have named. Dominion and responsibility. What did God do in creation? God said, remember Genesis chapter 1, let there be light, and then the scripture says he named the light, calling it day. When he separated the waters and made dry ground, he named the dry ground land, and the waters he named seas. He named them. He was demonstrating his dominion over creation. Then what did he do after he made the earth and everything in it? 
Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may, what? Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the face of the ground. So, what happened? After everything else was made, he created mankind with dominion and authority over the animals. Let them rule over. Remember? That was, that was the point of Adam's first job. His first assignment from God signified his authority over and, by the way, his responsibility to the segment of creation that he had been called to serve, the one over which he had dominion. Do you remember when God gave him his job description? It's in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man, for what reason? To see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Adam's job, consistent with the reason he was created, the assignment God gave him, Adam's job was to name the animals. Now, why is that? Well, it wasn't busy work to keep Adam occupied and keep him out of trouble. If it was, it failed spectacularly. And it certainly wasn't because God had run out of ideas after a busy six days of creating the earth and everything therein. Adam was tasked with naming the animals to signify that Adam had dominion over the creatures of the earth that were not made in God's image. He had dominion over the creatures of the earth that were not made in God's image. His dominion did not imply that he could be domineering and dominate. Rather, it was significance and privilege. It was responsibility and privilege. As the name maker, Adam was to shepherd, provide, and protect those under his rule, under his dominion. Now, in a very real sense, God has naming rights over mankind. He has dominion over those he created in his image. So, what happened when the people of Babel revolted against God, refusing to spread out and fill the face of the earth? It was with an eye to naming themselves. Remember? They wanted to make a name for themselves. They were attempting to establish autonomy from their creator grabbing their own naming rights 
so they could ultimately control their decision-making without accountability and control their destiny. That was a problem. Now, what did God do when he stooped down to see the little tower they were making? We know he destroyed it, of course. He just zapped it, blew the thing. That's actually not what happened. He confused their language. And he scattered them over the face of the earth. Now, typically, we read that and think, wow, that that was a wrathful play on God's part. He was obviously very angry. Angry. They rebelled and paid for it, reaping exactly what they had sown. But I want want you to think think of it differently today. Couldn't we just as easily understand God's response as an act of grace? Wasn't the God who had dominion over people, couldn't Isn't it possible that he was actually shepherding them and guiding them into the purpose for which he created them? In trying to make their name great, they were going to completely miss their destiny. Their best life, our best lives, can only be found living out the purpose for which we were created. It is living by faith, faithfully in the center of God's will, fulfilling our purpose. So, what God did by scattering them was he stopped them from destroying themselves with autonomy. The idea that I know what's best for me and I am independent from any accountability, I can do what I want to to do, that is autonomy. And it destroys us. Because in him, we live and move and have our being. In him, the one who has dominion over us, we trust that he will shepherd us, that he will guide, protect, and deliver us to the place he's created us to be. But when we rebel against that, when we exercise autonomy and reject his dominion, we are on, as Jesus put it, the broad road that leads to destruction. God, by confusing their language and scattering them, was graciously nudging them into compliance with his purpose. It was an act of grace. Now, was was God concerned or afraid about them having a great name? No, he wasn't afraid. It's just that left on their own and left on our own, we can't make our name great any more than Abram and Sarah could make a great nation or Abram could seize control of Canaan land. God's vision requires God's involvement. And as the creator with dominion over creation, God is the name maker. 
He's the name maker. So, back to Abram. When God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, promising to make his name great, the name maker promising to make his name great, he's inviting Abram to a life of faith, to a life of submission to the dominion that our creator has over us. It's a life of faith wherein Abram would trust that his gracious name maker would guide, protect, and equip him to do the good works that God prepared in advance for Abram to do. By the way, that's exactly what we do when we submit to God's wise, gracious dominion over us. We're acknowledging that we trust by faith that his plan is better than our plan and the narrow road is worth walking on. Now at the moment that God called Abel, not only, think about this, was God reversing the course of man at Babel where the people had determined that their path to greatness was apart from God, but God was actually advancing his vision for the people that would populate the earth. Okay, now let, let's, let's think about what we've learned for a second. When God told Adam and Eve that they were to fill the earth and subdue it by being fruitful and multiplying... What was noticeably absent from the world? Notably absent from the world. It was sin. He told them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, before they met the serpent. At that time, they were pure. Before the fall, there were no designs on their own autonomy. Now... God, who is dealing with man who has risen up to exercise autonomy, now God is essentially starting over with Abram. What Adam and Eve were supposed to do, they failed to do because they fell, they sinned, and then everybody thereafter continued that course. They were living according to their own wits, doing exactly what they wanted to do. So he's starting over. And through Abram, he is raising up a faith people that will fill the earth and subdue it. These faith people, people of faith, with God's gracious guidance and protection would prove, according to the promise, to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. And how would they bless them? By pointing them to their loving, gracious creator. That's the idea. So when God created, we were moving along, people who were pure and submissive to God, they were filling the garden, doing the work that God created them to do, and then they fell. God removed them from the garden, but the command was the same. Populate the earth, populate the earth. 
Then everything got really, really nasty, and God sent the storm. Destroyed all but one family. And he said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. But I still need Noah and his three boys to do exactly what Adam and Eve were told to do, and that is fill the earth and subdue it. So he reminded them, here's the command. As they did, people again fell further and further away from God until ultimately there was Babel. This was the, the crowning achievement of rebellious mankind, the construction of a tower that revealed to them that they were as, revealed to the world that they were as God, they were on par with God. Graciously, God said, I'm not going to let them destroy themselves. Graciously, God moved them out, confused their language, scattered them to the ends of the earth. But still, they were not God worshipers. His vision was to fill the earth with people who submitted to his dominion. And so he was looking for one available man. And he identified Abram. And he called him to be the father of the faith people that would glorify God to the ends of the earth. This was the plan that by Genesis 17, Abram was ready to embrace and God was ready to unleash. So he appears to Abram in Genesis 17. He had already given him the basics of the plan. Now God was spelling it out completely. Look back at the scripture I read earlier today, Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old. Now, if you remember last week we learned that he and Sarah, practicing autonomy, took matters into their own hands and decided that Abram should have a child with her slave, Hagar. That was 13 years ago. He was 86 at the time. Now he's 99. And God's like, okay, surely he's learned now. Let's, it's go time. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Shaddai, by the way, means mountain. High on the mountain. He is God Almighty. God the name maker, was revealing his name to Abram, saying, I am, I can, I am capable of making your name great. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. By the way, Abram couldn't be blameless any more than he could be a dad, but if he walked before God by faith, God would see him as blameless by grace. Walk before me and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. He worshiped. He worshiped the name. There 
that would make his dreams come true. He fell face down, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. I'm, I'm going to do this. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you, I have determined you will be the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings. As a matter of fact, the king of kings and the lord of lords will come from you. Now, what happens here? It's time. It's time. God comes to Abram, reveals his own name. I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, the God of the mountain. I can and will do what I have promised. And he tells Abram, if you walk faithfully before me. In other words, if you do what I told you to do in the beginning, which is go. Go to the land I will lead you. Walk faithfully before me with no thought of personal autonomy. Just trusting my dominion and my leadership. If you will just go where I tell you to go. Guess what you'll do, Abram? You will walk in my promises. Going, just going, is an act of faith. It's an act of submission. And it's an act of belief. And it is belief that makes us righteous. You remember Genesis 15, 6? And he believed him, and it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Righteousness comes from belief. So in going, before, walking before God, submitting to his authority, Abram would be blameless even when he stumbled. Just like us. In Jesus Christ, we have the righteousness of God, even when we stumble. So how did Abram respond to God? He fell face down. He bowed to his name maker. He bowed in reverent recognition of God's dominion over him in worshipful adoration he recognized that God as his name maker would be his guide he would equip and protect him as he walked to his destiny then God said I'm changing your name he gave him a new name. No longer would he be Abram, meaning exalted father. But from that time forward, his name would be a reminder of God's covenant. 
every time someone called him by his new name, he would be reminded of what God called him to be. God called him Abraham, the father of many. God would make him fruitful, and nations and kings would come from his lineage. And his people, the people of faith, would spread out and fill the earth. He would be the father of the faith and the faithful, and his descendants me and you. His descendants, those who place their faith in God and his plan for our redemption, his descendants of faith would do exactly what God called mankind to do from the beginning. It would spread out throughout the earth to cooperate with God's vision for his kingdom to come on earth just as it is in heaven. That's what it means to be a blessing. That's the very idea. When God said, I will make you a blessing and you will bless all the peoples of the earth, the idea was that you will take your faith to the ends of the earth, fill the earth, and point them to their creator. I will bless you, and you will bless them. We bless others because God has blessed us. And when we choose to bless others as faith-filled stewards of God's call, he makes our name great as we make his name famous. When we humble ourselves... When we draw near to God in recognition of his authority and dominion, of the wisdom and graciousness of his plan for our lives, what does scripture say? He will lift us up. A great name is a byproduct of submitting to God and doing the good work he prepared in advance for us to do. A great name is made by faith in God, who is the name maker. As a matter of fact, it is faith in the one whom the name maker gave the name that is above every name. It is faith in the name of Jesus. It is willingness to walk before him, and it is a desire to be a blessing to others. God will make your name great in his eyes. If you trust his way, his truth, and his path to life, who is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, 
thank you so much. We, we see clearly that your plan from the beginning to create us to have relationship with us and to give us peace and purpose. But Lord, we recognize that we choose autonomy over submission, that we want things our way, we want them right away. We want to make our name great. Father, my prayer is that you would forgive us that you would restore our perspective to conform to your reality. I pray, Father, that we would be people who submit in faith to you, our shepherd, our guide, our protector, and our savior. And Lord, as you bless us with protection, guidance, and salvation, I pray that we would resolve to be a blessing to others. I think it's important when we begin to understand God's vision for our significance, for our life abundant and eternal. I, I think it's important to be honest, to reflect upon what we believe, who we're trusting. Autonomy leads to trusting ourselves for our salvation. Okay, but that, as we discussed, puts us on the broad road that leads to destruction. When we want to control our lives, we actually seal our faith. Puts us on the broad road that leads to destruction. But by God's grace and mercy, he sent his son Jesus, who stepped out of eternity into time in the lineage of Abraham to make a way for us to have peace with God, enjoy his blessings, and be a blessing to others. Sin will separate us from God. Autonomy separates us from God. But forgiveness and repentance and submission to God reverses everything. If you haven't come to the place where you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. 
makes a way for us to live the life God created us for. His way is narrow, but it is the way to life. If you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus, there's no better day than this one to become a child of God, son or daughter of Abraham, who is the father of our faith. Lord, thank you for gracing us with truth. Grace us with faith so we can be who you created us to be, as children of the King. For those of us who are in the family of faith, we are blessed to be a blessing. As we go, as we populate the earth, as we scatter over the face of the earth, the blessing that we are to be is to point other people to our gracious creator. It is to lift up the name of Jesus, show people the way to connecting with our great name maker. Father, I pray that you would inspire us, guide us, direct us, to do exactly what you designed us to do from the very beginning. It is to be a blessing to others so your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name I pray.